Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in 1 John chapter 4, and it's going to continue the same themes that, that we've we've been looking at. And that's the challenge of, of 1 John, is it seems slick, cyclical in that what it is you discuss in chapter 1, probably going to pop up in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. Because um, remember that the main theme is how can I know God and be known by Him? Uh, and the answer is truth and love. And he's going to continue that here in chapter 4. He begins there in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So here you see the issue is that of truth, that if you deny the pure gospel, then you do not possess the love of God, nor will you live by the the, the love of God. Uh, So we must test the spirits to see if they are from God. Now, here we we must be reminded that these letters aren't just uh, general documents, but rather they they fit within a a cultural uh, space. And here, John is concerned with the rise of a theological heresy within the Ephesian church that he feels he has to address. And so it is here he's talking about the Antichrist. And um, we mentioned this, I believe it was in chapter 2, um, when the Antichrist came up there. That the word Antichrist is not found in the book of Revelation. It is found in the writings of John. Uh, well, in the epistles of John, particularly First John. Um, and so a lot of people assume the Antichrist is this in end of the world figure. It's going to take over the world, one world government, all that sort of stuff. Well, what people usually do is they take the the imagery of the beast in uh, Revelation uh, and and synchronize it with the Antichrist of First John two and four, uh, and and that may not be accurate. It may be. I don't know. Um, but Antichrist is just a general term for anyone who is, catch this, Antichrist, right? And and John said in chapter 2 that there there is Antichrist here, and there have been many Antichrists. And, and here the issue is that of truth. And we said in chapter 2, we'll, we'll say it again here, that it's very possible we know who this Antichrist is. Um, Serenthus. In fact, uh, uh, John uh, suggests, that, uh, suggests that by his language here, um, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, uh, Serenthus was um, uh, believed that uh, Jesus was, we talked about this chapter 2, I won't spend forever on it, um, that Jesus had come in the spirit but not in the flesh. So, so Jesus was a disembodied being. Now, he looked as if he was physical. He acted as if he was physical, but he wasn't physical. Now, the motivation behind this is actually Greek philosophy, that uh, in Greek philosophy, the spirit is good, the flesh is bad. And so, how can you have a, a perfect being who is in the flesh? Well, the answer we give to that, orthodoxy gives it to it, is the incarnation. Jesus is the God-man. So we affirm both the deity and the humanity. So in ancient times, people struggled with the humanity of Jesus. 
in modern times, postmodern times, people struggle with the uh, deity of Christ. Uh, but it's still the same heresy, is that you're denying uh, uh, the nature of Jesus. And John says, uh, this person is Antichrist. Story goes, it's based on tradition, don't know if it's true or not. Story goes that um, John showed up to a bathhouse and saw Serenthus there. He ran out of the bathhouse, uh, claiming he was afraid that the bathhouse would collapse uh, in judgment on top of Serenthus. Uh, so John took this very seriously. Well, but the issue is, of course, that of truth. You cannot know God apart from the truth. And this is a contradictory to what it is that we're, we're being taught today, isn't it? Today, truth is relative unless you're woke and you're, you're in the culture majority and you can force f um, <laughs> falsity onto uh, everyone else. Um, but, uh, but as a general, we believe the truth is relative. It's my truth and it's your truth, but there is no the truth. Um, and, uh, but, but, but Christianity just come and said, no, no, there is a truth. And, and it is that truth, John will tell us in his gospel, that will set you free. For Jesus is the way and the truth. And so apart from the truth, there is no life. Apart from the truth, there is no love. And we've seen that as a society. The farther away we get from the truth, the, 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 the farther away we get from true, lasting love. Well, love is the issue he deals with starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. There it is again. So you can't know God if you don't know the truth. That's the spirit of Antichrist. But you can't know God unless you know love. And you can't know love unless you know God. And so, so how, how can I know that I am known by God? The answer is truth and love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, let me just add a quick footnote there. Everyone loves this part of that God is love, and we say that that is the, the absolute attribute that is inaccurate with the Bible. Uh, we hold that God is simple, and by that we mean that God is not compartmentalized. He's love over here, and you know it's a pie chart, and he's got wrath over here, and jealousy over here, and sovereignty here, and omnipotence over here. That's not how we think of God. Rather, uh, that God is uh, completely and fully love. He's completely and fully jealous, completely and fully immutable, completely and fully uh, omnipotent. All right? God is simple. That's what we mean by that. Um, but we also, if you read the Bible, this isn't the only place where it says God is and it gives a, a noun or attribute. Because uh, it'll tell us God is jealous would be a good example of this in uh, uh, Numbers and and I believe Malachi and some, some other places. Uh, God does not change, it'll tell us. So therefore, God is immutable. Um, Jesus is Lord, right? Therefore, he is sovereign. So, so, so the Bible uses this language quite a bit. But what we've done as a society is we say, well, God is only love. And we, we've not paid attention to context. We've not read the rest of the Bible. We just take three words out of 1 John 4, and we, de we develop an entire theology around it. And, and what we've done is we've, we've, we've feminized God, and we've made him a weaker being uh, as a result of overemphasizing one at the cost of others. You can't understand God's love without understanding and appreciating his holiness. You can't appreciate his love without engaging with his immutability, with his sovereignty, with his jealousy, with his wrath. Right? And so love has to be understood among the other attributes of God. Yes, God is love, but he is equally all of these other things. Right? And whenever we get that wrong, we get love wrong. Because what we end up doing is we, 
will will change God is love to love is God. And that is a very critical and dangerous error. So yes, God is love, and in this, the love of God was made manifest. We talked about this yesterday, so I don't want to belabor it. In the Bible, love is almost always associated with the cross. So yes, God is love, but let me prove it to you. Look at the cross. It was manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So love is defined by the gospel. So I had to ask myself, do I love my neighbor, my family, my friends, strangers, coworkers, or whatever, not by how I feel about them or by how they feel about me. But rather, I look at the cross and say, am I living a life consistent with what Christ demonstrated for me at Calvary? And if the answer is no, then I am not living up to the standard of one who knows God and knows God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Notice, when speaking of God's love, is past tense. God loved us. And then the application is present tense, so love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. I would say a second theme in John, we've, we've not focused on it just for the sake of simplicity. It would be the abiding uh, theme. So knowledge, I think, is the number one uh, thesis of, of 1 John. But I think abiding is another important one. And in here, he, he says, look, it isn't just important that you are known by God but that others know God and see God in you. It's another theme in 1 John. We get it here. So it's important for us to love because for some, that is their introduction to the love of God. So if our love isn't radical, people will never discover the radical nature of God's love. And then just to reemphasize this in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Uh, he said some of this in chapter 3. For he who does not love his brother whom he cannot, who, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right. So love is, of course, a major, major theme of this chapter, but it's rooted in, in the main theme of knowledge. So know the truth. That Christ has come in the flesh, has died as propitiation for our sins, and, and know the love of God so that we may manifest in truth the love of God with one another. Hope to see you guys tomorrow.